Hi, I'm Lanny. On this podcast, I'll dive deep into all things home. Steading, cooking, schooling, making, food preservation, and scratch-made everything. Our homes used to be more than just a place to sleep and charge our smartphones. The home was the heart of our families, a place where we could birth our babies, school our children, grow, raise, cook, and preserve our own food, host weddings in the pasture, and funerals in our parlor. Do you want to take back your autonomy and breathe new life into your home? Let's learn together. With intention, we can rely more on ourselves and less on the systems that don't serve us. This is the Greener Postures Podcast. And welcome back to another episode of the Greener Postures Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Lanny. And today I have guests, not just a guest, but many guests with me today. Stella, Toons, Stewart, uh, Think, Change, Repeat, and Wild Bill. Uh, we've come about to know each other thanks to the Propaganda Report and Monica Perez. And you guys are all very active in the Discord group that was started for the Prop Report. And um, through that, you guys have started your own podcast, or at least some of you, right? Uh, the Union of the Unknowns, which is just such a, a great name. Like, I I feel, um, I, I get it. I'm on board. <laughs> so the Union of the Unknowns, and I, you guys have got quite a few episodes under your belt now. So does anybody want to just uh, start and say hi, introduce yourself? Okay, well, I'll go. <laughs> hey, we got Stella. <laughs> hey, um, yeah, Stella here. Stella Q from Australia. Um, not much of a presence really online, like it that way, trying to get even less. Um, thanks for having us here. <laughs> much appreciated, Lenny. Good to meet Excellent. you. Excellent. Yeah, thanks for being here. You go for <laughs> it, Stuart. Stuart from Maryland, and I hang out with the Union of the Unknowns online, and not on their pod. I've been on their podcast once, but uh, I enjoy it and enjoy all the folks there. Excellent. And Tunes, you're in New Hampshire? Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. We got to get Wild Bill on the unknowns. Oh, he hasn't I been know yet. He's, I know he's active. <laughs> I know he's quiet. A little shy. Well, we had um, Wild Bill. We have, if you want to say hi to. Howdy, howdy. I'm up in North Idaho with my lovely wife, Ashley. Uh, like Stella, don't have much of an online presence, but stay active in the Discord and I don't know. I guess Tunes is kind of right. Keep to ourselves up here, but yeah, we're branching out, getting cool. getting better at this. That's really in the scheme of things, not too far from me here in uh, Northwest Washington. So yeah, yeah, y'all are up in uh, uh, Bellingham, right? Yeah, Bellingham area. Yep. Right on. Yeah. Yeah, it's nice up and, there. Yeah, and we got Ashley Think Change Repeat, who I know has been to my workshops before, so we've gotten to hang out. Yes. Hello. Thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, I met everyone through the proper board discord. That's where I hang out either there or the unknowns discord. I do the unknowns Twitter. Um, but other than that, I'm pretty much like these guys. I don't do a, a ton of other online stuff. Um, but I stay pretty active in the discord and yeah, that's how I ended up meeting you and joining your group. Um, the awesome telegram group with very impressive people in there. And um, yeah, so thanks for having us. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for being here. So really how this came about, if I could tell people who are listening is I was invited to be on uh, the uh, union of the unwanted by Monica Perez. And she said they were going to talk about homesteading and um, that kind of expanded to farming 
and food. And I thought that sounds cool, but it's like a bigger podcast than I've been really on. And it's, it's not my favorite format, honestly, to be on a podcast that have that many people, because I feel like it starts all these threads of conversation and none of them ever get explored or finished or discussed. And so I was, um, kind of like, nah, not sure if I was even going to come. I show up there, the screen turns on and freaking Joel Solitin was there. And I was just like, what? I've read his books. Like I've listened to him talk. I have, uh, watched documentaries with him. Like he's, he's like, uh, a, a movie star. It's, it could have been Harrison Ford to somebody else or whatever, you know? And I was like, having a heart attack for like the first 30 minutes of recording. And then Monica kind of called me in and it kind of snapped me out of it because I had to start talking. But uh, while Bill and Tunes, you were both in that uh, as well. And we, I just kind of felt like I wanted to do over from that where we could maybe explore some things that I kind of hoped had been, had, would be brought up in that discussion or things that were talked about that we didn't really get to learn more about. So that's kind of how this, uh, this group came about all of us in one way or another are doing more to take care of ourselves, learning, um, ancestral ways of doing things, trying to grow or raise our own food. And, and we're all kind of at different levels and, and that's kind of what I want to talk about. So what, does anybody want to start and just say, you know, what your, what your life looks like and, you know, what maybe what homesteading might mean to you? Um, homesteading doesn't look a lot like anything at the moment, but um, my homesteading is sort of more of a past venture. Um, I lived in Tasmania for 14 years on the East Coast in a couple of well, two or three different places, but uh, eventually settled in on a block of land which had nothing. <laughs> it had just had sheep running on it pretty much for decades and that was it. Um, there was not even a fence post. Oh, <laughs> there was a couple of old broken ones. Anyway, so we bought that there wasn't even a driveway or anything like that um so we really started from scratch it was just me and my husband and um yeah like we came from the city so absolutely completely green <laughs> like no idea whatsoever um so that was a really big learning experience and and I think probably the biggest thing I would say to anybody because you know we hear it all the time don't we oh, I'd love to get a couple of acres and go and live on the land and you know get out of the city blah, blah, blah. Some people do it, <clears throat> some people um, achieve it, a lot of people try it and then it's too much, they don't realise what's involved. So, yeah, I think the biggest thing would be the mindset. You really have to have, you cannot expect what's to come. You have no idea what's going to come. But um, you have to have a pretty strong mindset and a strong relationship um, um, because, yeah, and if you're not up for hard work, forget about it, forget about it. Because, like, people from the city have no freaking idea what is involved in, like, physically mentally um you know your whole life changes you've got to get up with the sun all that stuff you know um so yeah the, the biggest thing is do your research first be know what you're in for otherwise you're in for a disaster <laughs> <I think. laughs> excellent that sounds super interesting and uh that is is not the case are you back in the city then uh yeah well after 14 years there the, the marriage breakdown blah blah um I did run the place myself it was 96 acres um wow. I did run the place myself it wasn't all arable so when I say 96 acres I wasn't looking after a lot of it because it was just sort of it was almost like a well it was a river behind us but it was kind of became a, a like a private beach because of the tin mining that filled up the whole river. There used to be whales and sailing ships going up there but it was all just so a, a lot of the land was like that um I, it was probably, I don't know, maybe five acres, I guess, that was 
all planted and I had to look after. Um, I just, it was too much for me after a couple of years. I just I couldn't do it too much. And you know, I had to keep getting people to come in and, you know, relying on people. That's, nah, that's not the way I wanted to live. So, unfortunately, I had to give it all up. Um, um, 20, 20 years too soon, I think. That was the problem. Yeah. You know, 20 years too too early. <laughs> What a journey. Yeah. I mean, a lot of lessons learned and let, let's see where, uh, Stuart, tell us a little bit about what you're up to. Yeah, no, I'm just trying to, I guess, while well, thinking about what is homesteading to me, it's, I don't know. I feel like I'm just trying to learn a few skills about homesteading and I don't know. I mean, I've always been an outdoor kid. I always liked, uh, finding wild food and eating it. And so that kind of started me. I've raised bees for a long time since I was like 12, although I don't say successfully. Uh, I wrestle with them. I've got an uh, unsuccessful swarm out now. <laughs> so I was wrestling with that to get them a queen or not to get them a queen. You know, the the un, un, uh, unexpected questions that you're not sure what to do with a, with a late swarm. Uh, so, yeah, and raising chickens. Um, doing a few things that I, I think are kind of easy and I'd like to learn a lot more. But when I talk to people, they find interest in it and uh, are kind of surprised. So, And I also farm, a friend of mine owns, uh, uh, he's got three acres in row crop uh, that's completely organic. And I've, he's got a co-op and I said, I'll be happy to farm for food or help for food. And I've done that for probably seven, seven or eight years now. Just oh, once a week, wow. just go serve him and bring home food. It's fun. And I learn a lot. What a deal. Yeah. You're learning and you're getting to take home fresh, fresh produce. That's a, a win-win for sure. Yeah. Let's see who, who was next in this rotation. Now I'm supposed to remember. Was that tunes? Was that you? No, it's well, okay. I think, I think I was up. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, <clears throat> maybe we can touch on it later, but I'm not sure how much I love the word homesteading. Um, I, uh, I became skeptical of, food uh in general maybe i don't know 10 years ago ish um and i kind of decided that everything that was in a grocery store was uh more or less poison um so it was my goal to come here to uh, grow raise or hunt 100 percent of my food and uh i very quickly learned that that's a full-time job if not more than that um so every year we're trying to uh expand the garden a little bit, add an animal or two and, and just, uh, slowly, but surely, um, be a little more self-sufficient. That's, that's my goal at least. Um, but I'm not sure how much I like the word homesteading. Um, we're on five acres, but I can hear the highway. Um, we're, we're relatively rural, but, um, only in the sense because I grew up in suburban, um, I'm very close to major cities. I'm very close to, you know, uh, very um, city people, I will call it. I mean, I think it's a mindset that uh, more rural people have uh, versus city folk. Um, but I'm still very on the edge of city folk. I'll say that. Um, I'm not sure where else to go from here, but. Yeah, I definitely long... agree of, uh, with the the homesteading not being my favorite term because I think that you know originally it meant something very different and it was about the land that was acquired you know given to you by the government for you to be able to make something of it and it was 
was more of a pioneer thing. It sounds more like what Stella said she was doing there in Tasmania. Uh, whereas like what we're trying to do kind of like what Stuart said is like gain these homesteading skills, like one at a time while still like fully being supported by the, the industry, the society we have today, you know what I mean? Yeah, if, and then if I can, yeah, sorry, if I can tap back in, uh, I, I still work a construction job. So um, I'm kind of at the point where if I am to expand at all with my uh, household um, self-sufficiency, I almost have to like, you know, work part time or, or, you know, hire some people. It's, it's, it's uh, the, the workload here is extensive and, you know, full-time job is, is, uh, is an understatement. Um, you know, I, I, I do my best, but now we have a little one. So, yeah, you know, the, our spare time is very infrequent. Um, but yeah, I, I agree that, that homestead, it felt like a career almost that like, that's what you were doing. You were uh, dedicating your a hundred percent effort to the, to the land. And that's certainly not what I'm doing. You yeah. Know, I, I there, work. Was, there wasn't necessity to be getting outside income because you didn't, you weren't forced to buy into certain systems uh, that you have, you know, we, ha- I have to have electricity attached to my house, the way it is now I have to have garbage pickup where I'm in violation. You have to pay your taxes. You know what I mean? It's just, there's yeah, less and, there- and less space to go and, and get lost in the woods anymore. There's mortgages yeah, and car payments and mm-hmm. insurance. That's exactly and right. It's, it's so hard to actually really escape. You can't anymore because there are these obligations that none of us really agreed to, but we have to do those things. Otherwise, we've got the police on our ass, you know, like who wants that? And that's uh, what I find really using the word homemaking um, is better for us. And and Chud, my husband, he also says he's a homemaker. And I think it's also funny because it's a big like F you to like <laughs> that bad connotation that it is for women to be homemakers. And it's like, no, all of us should be homemakers. All of us should be taking what we can from our own homes and making this um, an important place, not just as my intro for the podcast says, not just a place that we charge our smartphones and sleep, but a place that we actually make things and grow things. And we have our babies and we hold our funerals that, that, that way homes used to be a important the heartbeat of the family right uh, so wild bill what what do you have to say about the term homesteading and where are you at with it um i think when people hear the word homesteading they kind of think of covered wagons and and like you said the pioneer mindset or like blazing a trail or something and you know maybe we all kind of fall victim to that illusion of grandeur with it but i, I do think Stu's is correct in the sense that it's a mindset and it needs to be about skill acquisition and kind of doing everything you can to at least retain some semblance of your health, some semblance of autonomy, something that, you know, if something does happen, if something does go wrong and, and these institutions, these systems truly do fail or even partially fail, whatever, you're not entirely screwed. You're, you're, you have a basis on which you can act on and you can bring value with that. And oftentimes I think if push came to shove, that's more valuable than, than anything else we've kind of got going on right now. (laughs) 
Uh, Absolutely. I agree 100%. And so like, I've heard a little bit about you from Monica, actually, because she, you are the one that sends her rendered tallow. Yes. Yes. That is something we have a lot of fun doing here. That's awesome. That's uh, what I'm doing actually upstairs right now in the crock pot of tallow again. The day before yesterday was our lard for the year. So yeah, like um, I think people are going to start calling me the fat lady because everyone (laughs) just gets their animal that knows me. And then they're like, do you want the fat? I'm like, yes, I do. And then I return them tallow or tallow balm or soap or something, you know, you know, if only people knew it's, it's such a nice kept secret. (laughs) I know. No, you can right? do so much with it. And once you start cooking with it and, and preparing food, like our, our whole philosophy on food is, is sourcing and prep. And once you use that natural animal fat and there's nothing better there, there really isn't a hundred percent. Yes. Yep. And especially if you start to look into the uh, seed oil industry and how that all came about and you start to go, Oh, I want no part of that. And it's in no. everything. So what can you do? You know? And uh, even when you go to the store to buy lard or towel, it's not the same stuff as you can get. If you get a good animal that's been treated right. And you render it yourself. Well, yeah. yeah mom and of- I were, mom, sorry, mate. Mom, no, mom and I were itself. having this conversation um, just yesterday, actually, we were talking this exact same thing, how food tastes different these days. And I said to her it was probably because it's not really cooked in fat and all, you know, the old ways like it was before. And now we're using all these oils and stuff. So, yeah, it's excellent point. We need to get back to the old grandma's ways. Absolutely. And then, uh, Wild Bill, before we finish up, I'm going to ask Ashley a couple of questions, but can you tell me uh, what your situation is like? Do you guys have chickens, garden? I mean, you're doing stuff in the kitchen, and I love that. That's where I've started. It's my fo- focus, of course. Uh, so we're currently in suburbia, but we do farm a lot of what we eat here. Um, garlic's coming in, potatoes are coming in. It's pretty exciting. Awesome. Uh, we are, our goals are towards, the, uh, operating a raw milk dairy and we're, uh, we're looking down South. We're probably going to relocate here towards the end of the year, uh, back down South. And, uh, yeah, I think that's kind of the end goal is it's run a raw milk dairy and then obviously have chickens excellent i love yeah. it and then we've got ashley who is think change repeat online which i love and you are also a real normal person that's newer on this i've seen like tower gardens and stuff you were getting into making yeah. salads yeah tell us about it um yeah so i definitely am in the super normie camp like i live in a really crowded suburban neighborhood Um, My best hope was my tower gardens and they ended up being a giant pain in my ass. They, it was so hot here last summer. They constantly were like running low on water. So they would fall over and there's a balance of your vining plants. And so it's like, you really need to practice doing that and planning it out. Um, So my tower gardens didn't really work out except for to be a frog sanctuary uh i did enjoy the frogs but it didn't do much in the way of food and then i had an entire garden on on the inside and i felt like it reminded me of like probably what the world economic forum how they want you to grow your food right it was this giant tower with this huge like lamps on it and it was unbelievably bright and it was kind of creepy looking Um, and then I had started, well, it was for my greens and all that stuff. I started outside and they all were, um, covered with, I think, is it aphids, the tiny little 
Yeah. The ones that uh, ladybugs eat. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that was a whole thing. Um, and I did find your class, your classes, and enjoyed that a lot. And I have a connection to the old ways because my family, like my grandparents, were all from Appalachia. So they had, you know, just um, sauerkraut, like the barrel that they just always kept full. And my grandfather explained to me how they did that. All of those people had gardens. Um, my grandparents have garden to this day, but I wasn't really raised like that. So I am definitely have been disconnected, but see the importance in it. Um, in Western North Carolina, we do have a little bit of land that we hope to get set up for something like that. So I can have my chickens and I can have at least like what we're talking about, if not, you know, because obviously it's very difficult to be fully self-sustaining, but at least a step in that direction is my goal. But right now I'm just observing, you know, and, and making connections with lovely people in this community that are, you know, super impressive. I mean, it's, it's incredible what everyone's doing. So when you think, when you hear the word homesteading becoming like a normie, like, like Monica thinks I, I had a, when she came to visit us, I had a realization that she doesn't really understand <laughs> what we're doing. I kept telling her, we're not, what what we do here, we're just regular people. Like, it's not that great. We have jobs we go to, you know, like it's not that, but she was so impressed, you know, anyway. So uh, what do you, when you hear homesteading, what, what comes to mind for you, for you, Ashley? So I would say that it it is the idea that you have some, at least somewhat of an ability to provide for yourself, that you have some systems in place that you are capable of providing for yourself. So like, even if somebody just has some laying hens and a couple of raised bed gardens, I would say they're working towards their homestead. Um, you know, and depending on how much land you have and, and that kind of stuff, because a lot of people do a lot with a very little amount of land. However, they don't necessarily have the extra capacity to add cattle or like a dairy cow or something like that. But basically just people who are working to be in, uh, to put themselves in a better position than what you are, if you're depending on the food systems, like the grocery store, like local restaurants or or whatever, you know, you're able to at least provide some things for your family and provide some calories in a shit hits the fan situation. Sure. Yeah. I always look at it like I'm just trying to be prepared and educated enough that I have this like landing place if things went bad so that we are okay for a while while we figure out the next steps, like whatever that may be. And, and so part of that is like goes hand in hand with the word prepper, which I've always been kind of like meh about because I feel like prepper is like ammunition and guns and like really weird men stuff. And, and I'm like, <laughs> but I'm totally looking at like, you know, five gallon buckets with like the gamma lids full of mylar packed uh, wheat berries right now. So I, I guess I'm a prepper, but I feel like I'm a, saying you're a homesteader or a homemaker makes more sense. I buy in bulk because it saves us money and it's stuff that I'm using. It's not just freeze dried food. And so I think um, 
I think we're doing this as a swap cast. So I should say for anybody who doesn't know me, we, me, my husband, Chud and I live on about 25 acres and it is a generational homestead, but it, it was a farm that skipped a generation. So we had to pull bushes away from the barn to get the dar- doors open when we moved in four years ago. And it's been a lot of moving forward, you know, putting our own garden in Nothing was here ready for us to use, uh, except the structures to be able to store stuff in a place to park the tractor when we got one. So it's been a lot of learning and we had laying hens first and we processed our own roosters and then we had meat birds and we just processed our own meat birds again about a week ago. The garden continues get, to get bigger. And really what, I, what I'm learning about what I can forage around the area and in the wood, woods that we have is like really useful as well too. And so for me, yeah, like I said, homesteading is not like the it, it, it makes sense to tell people kind of what I'm doing, but I think it also gives a lot of people the wrong impression because I think either you're thinking of the wagon covered pioneer people, or you're thinking of the people on Instagram where they're like super rich and they have like a really nice new painted red barn, you know, with like a tin roof on it. And they just like have everything perfect and like the really expensive linen dresses. And it's like, <laughs> It's like, which is it? Is it, is it this is Martha Stewart situation now? Or is it the, is it the rough people who are drinking turpentine to kill the parasites? I mean, there's, there's somewhere here in modern homesteading, you might say, where it's just us trying to take back what has been taken from us by not learning these generational things, things that used to just be passed down. You know, you would learn it just at the feet of your grandparents or your parents in your home. And that's all been taken away from us. And I think it's super important to learn these things and to pass them down on to our kids as well. So that's, that's what I'm into. And I was really thinking like about why, why would we choose to do this? So if that's kind of what I would want to go around on now and like the why being, um, some things that we hit on already, you know, like shit, it's the fan. We want to have some feeling like we have some place to start from, but a lot of what I'm finding is, where it all started for me was the food system. And because my kid had an anaphylactic response to peanuts when he was 18 months old. And that led me into like, just like Toons was saying, like realizing everything in the store was poison. And not just if you had food allergies, but pretty much just straight across the board. It was an experiment. These things were not considered food, you know, 50 to 70 years ago, and they are now experimenting on our population. And it doesn't look like it's going very well. So uh, once I realized that, I realized I needed to get more involved. And at first that was just learning to cook from scratch. And then that became um, wanting to grow the things that we were eating or source them locally from from local farmers that were doing things uh, in a good way. And I think that even if shit never hits the fan, which I'm kind of suspicious that it won't actually hit the fan, I'm, <laughs> they're just going to always make us think it's about to. Um, I think that the benefits to to living like this are enormous and you can't even quantify it. Not only the food that we're eating is better, not only that that we're we're teaching these traditional skills to our children, uh, not only that we're focusing on our families and spending more time doing that, but just the like satisfaction you get from a hard day's work, the satisfaction you get from learning a new skill and carrying it out, like making cheese and then like having cheese like four months later and tasting it for the first time was like the most amazing, you couldn't, you can't get that from like a roller coaster ride or a vacation to somewhere <laughs> like that was the best. And so I just want to see what the, the why would be for everybody here. Okay. I guess I'll go again. Um, the why for us, when we moved to Tasmania um, back in the early nineties was to get rid of the mortgage because we were paying like 
18% <laughs> mortgage rate. Uh, so having that in Sydney, we were living in Sydney, um, to sell the house there and get rid of the mortgage, we still had plenty of money left over to buy a decent place and have money to set it up and what have you. took us a little while to find the right place, but e- either way. Um, there was also, I I was more, like my husband at the time was was not, awake in any way shape or form but I had been awake for a while and I, we'd, I never talked about it too much but I was pretty concerned about um, the Indonesians actually coming down and I, I, I thought that's where the threats were going to be um, that was the talk back then so there was part of that was um, a little bit of um, motivation for us as well like we, I mean we ended up with you know some pretty bloody decent firearms and um, quite a lot of buried ammunition what have you until Port Arthur came along <laughs> and wrecked it all. But that's another story. So, yeah, there's lots of different reasons why I guess people do these things. At the moment it's pretty bloody obvious. But, um, yeah, like what you're saying about reviving the knowledge and, and passing on the skills, I think um, it's not just a nice thing to do. I think it's a bloody responsibility because those things are um, disappearing. It's sort of like tribal languages. If they don't talk it, the language disappears. So these skills are really disappearing and thank goodness for things like YouTube, et cetera, people can learn pretty much anything that they need to know because of the internet. Um, but actually doing it, you know, it, it's a way of life. Like the preppers are kind of like if something happens, I've got this, and it's like this sudden shift. But if it's a way of life, it's not going to be that sudden shift. You don't have to suddenly learn all this stuff and it's all overwhelming and you probably won't make it, but it's a way of life. It's like, eh, we'll just do what we always do. So good on you guys. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I see that with the preppers is like they have their stockpile. They're not eating that. That's just for if shit hits the fan. And it's like, no, it makes more sense to have like a working pantry where you're storing food that you use and you're going through it. So it never goes bad and you're replacing the the stockpile. So you're always ahead of yourself. But it's just like this, this moving living thing like you would a restaurant kitchen that's run well so yeah i think exactly. that, that there's a lot um there's a lot to be said for that as well uh who is next let's see Stuart. you got something to say about the why <laughs> yeah sure um i was i was thinking about that a little bit when i was talking with ashley this weekend about it and i couldn't really describe what the why was but all of the benefits you mentioned i could feel already you know the the self-satisfaction of just Raising my own chickens, eating good chickens. My vegan kid came off of being a vegan because he's trying to stay fit for some competition he's doing, and he started eating my chickens. So I'm going to double batch this year, and uh, and it, it's so nice to be able to just give friends a, a chicken that you raise, and it's so appreciated and it's so easy. So um, and it also makes me think of. When my dad had a garden, I remembered how nice the tomatoes were compared to the store tomatoes. And, you know, you just get that sense as a kid. And then this weekend I went out of town and dumped my chickens on my daughter, which I don't ever see her growing chickens, but she can see how easy it is, you know. Um, Had to make her drag the chicken tractor one day and feed and water the chickens. And uh, I guess they get something out of it, like I remember when I was a kid. So uh, it just feels right, so kind of simple from that perspective for me yeah i love that and i i think i have to remember remind myself a lot of times because i have a nine-year-old and a two-year-old the nine-year-old is in that stage where he doesn't want to help with anything and everything's kind of like annoying or a hassle but i remember 
um, there's been moments where like, he's talking to somebody else that doesn't know us. And he's like bragging about helping with the chickens. And he's bragging about how good the strawberries taste when you grow them yourself. And he's telling them how sourdough works and how the gluten forms. And he, he's never, he's, he's never interested when I'm talking about this, but it's all there. And it's like, then when he decides that he wants this to be part of his life when he's older or when he has kids, like that's that foundation that all of us missed out on, you know? And I think that's, that's amazing. Oh, and it's so exciting to have someone vegetarian that'll eat your meat. I do. I have a client right now that is vegetarian. She's been sick and I'm really like bone broth. And she's like, okay, I'll try your bone broth. Cause I raised the chickens and I made the broth and now I'm, I'm making her, her rice and beans, but cooked in broth and she likes it and she's feeling better. So that to me is like, that's fully a win. I got two this year. Yeah. <laughs> a vegan lived down the street. Well, worked at the same farm my son worked at. And she tried my venison because I cooked it for another friend of mine that works there. And she said, oh, let me try it. It's, you know, it's fresh, you know, healthy meat. And she's going to try my chicken stew soon. I'm not sure when, but That's I sent it over there excellent. already. So it's fun. Yeah. yeah. Because the best reason to be vegetarian is because you see how broken the industrial meat system is. And then the best way to not be vegetarian is to realize that you can source much better meat (laughs) and meat's good for you and it tastes great. So, yeah. Let's see, Tunes, you got a why. I know you have a little why. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great work with the uh, conversion there, Stuart. Um, I just want to touch on real quick, uh, all three of you touched on... um, like the ancestral knowledge, I've been calling it heritage knowledge um, that we all had. And and we kind of lost that the last generation. Um, my parents were, were had no interest in, uh, you know, raising, growing, hunting, anything like that. Um, we had a little, you know, we would grow a couple of tomatoes and maybe a couple of corn every year, but uh, it's in our DNA to, uh, especially men, I think, to procure our own food. Um, I think it's, it's deeply satisfying for me personally to uh, Saturday morning, I go to the chicken coop, grab a couple of eggs, and I, I go to my lettuce plants, grab a, you know, grab a couple of spinach, lettuce, you know, grab an onion, and I put it on the pan, and it's literally, you know, I just harvested it five minutes ago, and, it, and now it's in my belly. Um, the the why feels uh it just feels right to my soul um i can't put it any any other way um i feel like we are supposed to live closer to the land and uh the further away the worse uh health health outcomes we get you know whether it's physical or mental um this is how we're supposed to live so i think that's how that's my biggest why is uh it just feels feels like it's more natural to my blood, to my to my personality, to my to my body. Absolutely. Yeah. That connection to nature cannot be ignored. Like that has been just like generations now, like out of us. Like this this idea of like waking when the sun rises and going to bed when the sun sets, or like even noticing if the moon is full or not, because you're actually outside in the evening. You know, there's there's so much to be said about just touching the soil or um, there's benefits that you can measure with science and the experiments that have been done. But really it's something that's like unspoken. It's just, we're, we are part of nature and this is what we're supposed to be doing. And, and yeah, it, I could, it feels I good. 
I could not agree more and it is so healing. Like it's the first thing if people are feeling rotten or down or whatever, the first thing I say to them is go for a walk. Just go into nature for a while. It's incredibly healing. Sunshine, your feet on the ground, like any of that. Yes, for sure. I I would say too, like no disrespect, but I think it's more... uh... It, it, it men's DNA is to provide. So, so when I can go out to the to the garden and or it, 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 especially when I kill, I know it sounds sick and sadistic or whatever. But but when I provide meat for my wife and my little one, like that that feels right. Um, I, I'm meant right. to do the. I'm I'm meant to do the dirty work. That's that's what I'm meant to do. And my women are meant to do the 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 beautiful stuff. You know, I, I'm I'm a I'm a Cro-Mag. I'm a, I'm a grug. I'm a caveman, you know? So I, I go out and I, I smack shit with, with a club and I bring it home to my, to my lady. <laughs> and then it's in a woman's DNA to want to craft something and make something yeah. wonderful. So it's like Chud does the actual deed for the chickens, the, the throat slit, and then gets the feathers off and I eviscerate them and I make them look pretty enough that I would want to bring them into the kitchen and do the rest. So it's like, certainly not fun. You know, it's not like I, I enjoy it, but, uh, it's, uh, it's a satisfaction that you, you know, it scratches an itch that, that my family's going to eat because I did the dirty work. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Fulfillment. Yeah. It's, it's sexy. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) for sure. Yeah. Like, uh, women are confused. They're just perpetually on birth control now. And they're like these like wussy little guys. And then immediately you get off that and you're like, oh, wait, what? I just want that guy that's clubbing that animal over there. Yeah. <laughs> that's very attractive to me. I'll take that one. <laughs> and while Bill, what about you? How about the why for you? I think the biggest thing is you don't really understand how sick you are until you get off of this stuff. Uh, like really clean it, clean up your diet, not just, you know, eat organic or whatever, you know, the, the mainstream dialogue is about food health. It's, you really need to source this stuff, right? You need to stay local. The, the chain from where this animal is living or where this, this vegetable or fruit is being grown to where it's consumed should be very, very short. If you can't grow it or, or raise it yourself, need to be able to source it and and source somebody whose values align with yours because i mean we really are on the on the standard american diet it's it's horrible it is truly poison and and we have seen health conditions completely clear up ashley is you know dinner plate white and once she cleaned up her diet got all the poofas out of it got all the the seed oils out of it she actually tans now yeah as opposed to burning and like the the proof is absolutely evident that once you clean all this stuff up, your your body performs as intended. That's amazing. Yeah, if you thing. don't just poison it, <laughs> yeah, you're not just thing. constantly poisoning it. It's it is amazing. And yeah, um, I have a little bit to share because we're actually working on a half pig that we bought from a local farm right this on. week. So I did the lard, and then now now today Chud was working on all the primals um, to grind it and we're going to make sausage and he's cutting through that. And he, he tells me, he's like, it, it looks I just, different. yeah, I went through this pig and I did not cut one tumor out. And I was like, well, do you normally cut tumors out? He's like, he's worked making sausage for 20 years and he's cut up so much conventional pork. He's like, you have to remove tumors from every single one. And that's what 
you're not doing, if you're not hand making your own sausage, they're just grinding that the right. tumors and all. So like when you're buying hot dogs and sausage from a store, there's all of that unwanted stuff in that sausage. But when he's making it, you know, he's trimming that stuff out. He noticed this pastured pork that we got from Widnor farm here in Washington. They, uh, there was not a single tumor in the, on all of it. And he, he was like, I've never, I've never had that before. And we're like, I'm already calling her getting another half pick. Pastured pork is is unlike anything you'll find in a grocery store. It is so red. It looks different. It tastes different. It's night and day. You, you yeah. think it's a different animal almost. The other white meat. Does everyone remember that slogan from those commercials? Yes. Yeah. That pork was the other white meat instead of chicken. It's supposed to be healthy for you. Well, guess what? It's only white if you don't let the pig move around at all. And it's not yeah. supposed to be white. That's horrible. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, yeah, that's, I mean, that's great. Just quality of, of food. And then, um, Ashley, I think you kind of were hitting on your wise too, like this, just like feeling like this connection and, and more confident and, you know, I'm sure you got more, more to say on that. Yes. Um, definitely. So my grandmother is, she was somebody that was very important to me. So like her, what she grew up knowing, I, I wish, I think about her all the time and I wish that I just could talk to her more, you know, ask her more questions about this stuff. I feel like very unhappy being so disconnected from the, the ancestral or the heritage way, um, that people in Appalachia, you know, provided for themselves because they, they did it. They literally did it. They had none of the stuff that we have today. Like we're talking about, like they were self-sufficient and in, in a lot of ways, um, and, you know, cakes and things like that, that was a treat that was rare. That was, um, something that poor people back then didn't really grow up with like all of that stuff and just an appreciation of what you have. So to back to what everyone else is talking about, the, the food is poison and we like being so disconnected from that, it, it does bother me, you know, and just thinking like, oh, well, this is in plastic and this is in plastic and this is in plastic. And it's like, Oh, and we wonder why there's a fertility crisis and all of this other stuff. So, um, I definitely, you know, that stuff matters to me learning some of the old ways because of her and just because of that heritage in general. But then after, once I woke up to what was happening and, you know, some of the like agenda 2030 type stuff, um, the increasing or the plan to increasingly get us all on this like very centralized you must have permission if you do the thing you get the food you do the thing you get the ubi that kind of thing so i think trying to be ready for that and like you said stella and i have talked about this a lot so once um the sniffles happened um i really felt like the world literally that the sky was falling at that time, you know, the it's the hammer is coming down. However, we have made it through that. And yes, the sky was falling then, but it has been falling. You know, people like legal man basically say that it was game over in the U S in 1860, um, with the civil war. Right. So the sky has always been falling. It's been falling for 2000 years. Right. So what you said about it, it may never actually happen, but we want to be a little bit more ready and a little bit more aware of what's of what's going on. So those things are important to me. And yeah, I would like to be healthier. I would like to not be dependent on 
that system and a whole bunch of shit wrapped in plastic and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. hundred percent. Like the more we do for ourselves, the less we have to rely on systems that we don't agree with that don't serve us, uh, that try to control us. And the more I always tell my kid too, I was like, we're, we're saying it every day is the more responsibility you have, the more control you have, the more responsibility you have, the more freedom you have. So by taking that back, that responsibility to cook for yourself or to grow your food or to make your own soap or to make your own cleaner for your kitchen, you know, you're using vinegar and water instead of buying the Clorox crap. It's like any of those steps that you take, you're opting out of these systems that you don't agree with. And that's, that's a win right there. Even if it's just a little bit, there's so much all or nothing that people have. And that it's like, why would I even try if I'm just going to get dominoes and play my video game because the world's not perfect? Well, no, I think every tiny little bit we take back is a good thing. Uh, what do you got, Stella? I really think, <clears throat> excuse me, I really think that everybody at some point should spend at least a year without a flushing toilet because really it's about appreciation. Um, <laughs> we, <laughs> seriously, um, Man, like I still appreciate a flushing toilet now, and I've been on the land for twenty years or so. But uh, yeah, it's it's about being without stuff because when we're with stuff all the time, we don't, you know, you don't know what you've got till it's gone. You know, that's right. quite Joni. The convenience um, is literally going to kill people. A hundred, one hundred million billion percent agree with that. It is my mantra. Um, I hate the whole plastic thing, the convenience thing. People just need to understand where their stuff comes from. They just have, they're walking around, they have no idea. You can't blame them. It's society. So, um, yeah, we've been stripped of all that stuff. So it's, it's about appreciation. It's about um, gratitude. Um, if you, you work hard for something, you appreciate it. <laughs> it's as simple as that. Mm. Excellent. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, I do. I have a story to tell about when Monica was here, which you guys will all appreciate. She is a city person like through and through. And it's funny because my family, my mom was from New Jersey. And so I have a lot of East Coast family that are like really city. And, you know, like I had a great aunt come and visit. She's like, oh, you live in the forest. It's so nice here. There's like three trees in our yard, you know. So like she Monica's here and she brings her son and they're they're looking around and she warns me her son's a picky eater. Uh, Fat Mitch, you guys have talked to as well. He's eating everything off of any tree he walks by. He's eating an apple. He's eating a pear. And she's like impressed. And he goes, they tell me that you can't do this. You can't just eat food off of a tree where, where they are in L.A. And I'm like, that's why. Well, it's probably because they spray it with a bunch of stuff or something, mm, you know, yeah. but you can't just eat food. So we go to the chicken coop and I'm we're showing Monica, you know, where the chickens lay their eggs. And so we open the, the nesting box and there's an egg in there. And I go, you can take it. And she reaches and she touches it and she screams. <laughs> she screams. <laughs> and I said, what? And she's like, there's a chicken in there. And I was like, look again. I was like, there's a chicken. There's not a chicken in the nesting box. She's like, no, inside the egg. And I was like, what? And she, <laughs> she could feel like the life in it. And it like shocked her. Cause when you pick up an egg from a store, it's like done. It's been washed. Yeah. It's been in a fridge. Like this was warm still. And I like had that almost like a, the vibration of life that you can't really put your finger on. And she thought that she was touching an egg that was like about to hatch a chick. And she's like, oh, you can't wow. take that and eat it because there's a chicken in there. And I was like, no, because there wasn't an egg here yesterday. So that means they just laid it and there's not a chicken in there yet. <laughs> That's how we know, you know, you collect the eggs often and then, you know, you're not growing chicken chickens and she was just blown away so I like we had to take it inside and like crack it and look at it and see it's just like an egg it was and she was a little silly and I think uh 
Um, Fat Mitch touched it too. And he was also a little weird about it, but it made me realize like, yeah, what I am doing here is cool. Like sometimes I can compare myself to people who are doing more, who have more animals, who have more production, who are making money off of what they're doing. And I can feel like I'm not doing enough, but anything that's moving us away from those systems that we don't agree with, anything that's bringing us better food, anything that's helping us teach our kids how to stay alive. Like that's all really positive stuff. So yeah. Yeah. hundred yeah, percent. What do you got, Ashley? So I wanted to chime in because, um, you're, you're super impressive to me. I think about you all the time. I know I don't, um, lately I haven't chimed in, in our group, but I will scroll through, but I think about what you're doing because it is very impressive. Like you did start on this piece of property, not that long ago, you had a mission and everything that you've learned and now you're teaching other people. So maybe you're not making like as much money as you want at this point, but I honestly feel very hopeful and um, very optimistic about where you're headed. Like you're literally creating a business around what you have learned and helping other people and have facilitated a community with other people that are super interested in what you're doing. And, you know, that is a ripple effect. It really does matter. Like I think about that group all the time or other people in the prop report discord, um, you know, and just all the skills and the things that they do, like, it's really, it's really amazing. And I feel like I don't know that I would have known about or cared about raw milk, right? But we talked about it in that group. I joined a raw milk co-op. Um, and I was going to tell Bill, because he was talking about wanting to do the raw, the raw dairy. So apparently, in North Carolina, there is a law against selling raw milk unless you're part owner. So the people that I buy from, they have what they call a co-op and it's a cow share program. Yeah. So you'll pay an annual fee to buy into your cow and contribute to the care of the cow, whatever. And then they you are billed monthly for whatever you get. And then they'll have it set up for you every week. So you can just go grab your gallon of milk, but things like that, that I've really gotten out of this community and what you do and have done is very impressive. And the people that you have drawn into that group are also very impressive. Um, you know, and I, I definitely think the community aspect is big too. And even though a lot of us are very spread out, I, you know, there's a lot of people in this group right now who I've gotten stuff from, like Bill, shout out. I got some um, tallow bomb. Stu gave me a chicken that he grew, right? Like it's, uh, it's really, it just makes me feel so good. And I think about a lot of times you specifically, because something that Monica said, um, you know, it, I think it must've been her white pill summer when she was talking about when she visited you and several other people. And she, you know, it's easy to get worked up about what's happening in the world and what's being done to us. And then she said that you were like, yeah, but I have an organic peach right here. And I think about that all the time. And I was like, I really could use that perspective because I get really uptight about this stuff a lot. And I just think, but there are people who, yes, they care about it, but they don't, it, it is not a factor for them. They know that they don't want to participate in that. And they know that they want a better way and they're actively working towards that. So this stuff doesn't get them down the way that it gets me down sometimes, you know? 
Yeah. I think there's a lot to be said for that. Like the more, more of us that understand how nature works and we're doing more with the land do have this like reassurance that everything's going to be okay. Like whether or not you're religious, it's almost like there's just this like faith that knows the world goes on. And like, uh, I think it was wild bill was saying that like, yeah, the, the, the hammer dropped a long time ago. Like the world is ending, the sky is falling and it has been. So it's like, we're all living through that right now. And we all have been, and it's okay. I remember my grandma at like 90 saying, Oh yeah, I've lived through like four ends of the world. It's fine. (laughs) She's like, it's fine. And I was like, Oh, you know, that's, there's something to be said with that. And she's just eating her spaghetti sandwich or whatever and doesn't give a shit. And it's just like, it's, it's, it's refreshing. And, and I think that the more we focus on things we do have control over the better we feel. So that is, that's super duper important. And thank you for all your kind words, Ashley. I think there's really something to be said um, of the people that come together and want to share while they're learning, because I think there's a lot of information to be learned, gleaned from people who are currently learning something new because they look at it differently than the people, the experts who are going to tell you how to do it. They're going to tell you how to do it because that's the way you do it. But when somebody's learning something, it seems like they want to share the whys and, and how they're discovering it. And that that's like where I really get a lot from our group is because other people who are also trying to learn are coming together and talking about it as they're going through it. And that's really valuable to me. And I like, I think it's interesting too, that we had hogs and we had cows when we did not live in an ideal uh, condition. We were in a mobile home on like an, a half an acre and we don't have those big four-legged animals now. And it's probably because we knew how hard that was there. And we're like getting ready here first, but I'm so thankful we had that experience there at our old house. And like that I was doing things like rendering lard and, and learning how to ferment and all, and learning how to cook. Because then when you get to that better place, you, you have all the skills and you know where to start. You know, I had already canned something. Um, and so you just kind of continue that knowledge. So can everybody kind of like mention, you know, where you started or like maybe to give some inspiration to people who want to get started, not so much advice of how to get started, but how did you get started so they can understand your experience? Stella, you just threw yourself out there into your 90 something acres. Is that how you got started? Um, yeah, well, sort of, sort of worked our way up to that, but, um, yeah, we pretty much just threw ourselves in. I mean, we we went from scratch um, out of necessity in, in some ways, but even to the point of going into the woods, collecting our own fence posts, like chopping down the trees, collecting the debarking them, bringing them back, um, digging into river rock to put fence posts in. Like, it was really hard work. And um, um, so, yeah, you just got to sort of drop yourself in there and just be prepared to um, make a heck of a lot of mistakes. Um, I think that's a really valid point that you made about um, learning things with other people who are learning things because, yeah, they're discovering all sorts of issues along the way that maybe you haven't found and um, you're open to it all. So, yeah, I think it's brilliant what you're doing. It's, it's very smart because you're sort of doing things that you need to do anyway and teaching people along the way. So, it's yeah, it's a brilliant business plan really. Um, but uh, what was your original question? What? <laughs> Oh yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, how did you get started? So before you moved to your property, were you doing anything that maybe was out of the ordinary, you know, did you have chickens first or were you cooking from scratch or anything like that? Okay. No, absolutely nothing. Totally citified. Um, you know, I worked in a dark room as a video editor for years and it was just completely the opposite. So, uh, yep. Just cruised in, learned, talked to everybody that we possibly could. That's the main thing, getting the knowledge from people around the place, especially people who know uh, your area. 
that's really valuable as well because we found out pretty fast and uh, like we put up, you know, those uh, grow tunnels, plastic sort of hoop, half hoop mm-hmm. grow tunnels. Yeah. We put two of those up 40 foot long each um, and then found out real fast they were in a flood zone and they got completely mangled. That was, you know, thousands of bucks just gone. There's only so, so, you learn there's so many things you don't know until you've lived there at least a full calendar year. You know what I mean? Like you have to go through all the seasons to see your property in all the states that it could be in. So, yeah, talking to those people that are nearby on that land is really yep. valuable. Absolutely. And also things like learning where the sun is at different times, like where the best place to put things are. You, you've got to be there a couple of years really to get that right at least and pay close attention, you know. So, um, yeah, so it's pretty much just throw throw ourselves in there for, for us. It was, um, yep, <laughs> that's the way it happened. Love it. Um, hmm. How about you, Stuart? How did you, did you grow up with uh, some of this in, in your house or did you, did you have a family that cooked at least from scratch or where were you at with it? Not much, actually. We were, I grew up pretty city-fied, um, aside from my dad having a garden, which was memorable, like I mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just slowly seemed to, we always hung around kind of slightly hippie types, you know, natural living people and interested in, you know, natural living versus some of the concerns about what we're getting uh, at the stores, like people mentioned. Um but it was just a slow acquisition. I mean, and and talking about uh, teaching, some of the funnest uh, circumstances I remember, my wife and I, I talked her into taking a log building school back in the 90s. And we went up to northern Minnesota and spent a week with a bunch of other people learning log building. And uh, very memorable and very, you know, um, it got deep in my soul. I, I haven't made my goal of building a log house, but... Um, I have a lot of skills around it and uh, play with them sometimes, uh, building different structures around, but not a whole lot. Uh, so, yeah, it was just a slow thing, um, home, home birthing, and uh, I don't know, it all kind of goes together, and it's really valuable. And I'm, I'm in a weird spot. I'm chatting with the Discord group, the Union of the Unknowns, and uh, Toonson and Wild Bill are at the beginning of having kids, and my kids are moving out now, and one got a full-time job, but he said, hey, Dad, where do we used to go in Florida? And he was talking about where we used to catch snakes and go catch fish, and he took two of his friends down with him before he started his career just a couple of weeks ago. And it was really, really fun. Um, so we really affect them in neat ways. So that's important to remember, although, you know, the daily grind, you forget and don't feel it. Uh, but it's, I'm really enjoying my my time with watching my kids ease out of my life. Yeah, and you, you remember all those times that you spent taking them to do things outside and how valuable that was because that's the most memorable, um, you know, things that I have in from my childhood with my dad was hunting and fishing and and gathering huckleberries yep. and the time that he chased a bear Finding he thought morale, it was a coyote yep. <laughs> <laughs> and almost got eaten like all of the, all of that time you know like learning to drive a stick shift on logging roads and being terrified it's like those are all all great memories and and that's excellent that you're now to that point where you're seeing them grow up and hopefully you'll be seeing grandkids and getting to do the same thing with them um, and so you were you able to have uh, your kids at home? Did you have a, your uh, your wife have home births? Our first, our first, we were nervous about it, and I think midwifery home births might be illegal in Mississippi. I can't remember exactly, but we had had that one in the birthing center, and 
went home the next day, and that was pretty nice. Um, but the, the second and third, we both had at home. Uh, and, yeah, I caught them, caught them too, and it was, it was a special time. I really, I really enjoyed it more than the birthing center, as, as nice as that was for us. Um, so we, we had them all easily, and yeah, it went real well. Yeah, it usually does when you're at home because it's comfortable. That. Yeah, I love, I really, I love that. Yeah. love hearing that. That's so cool. Mm-hmm. Let's see. I uh, love talking about it, but I don't have many people to talk about it with. Oh, I know. And I could go another, we could go another two hours just talking about home birth. Maybe I'll have you back on when I do my uh, my home birth roundtable. <laughs> I need some guys in there too. Uh, Tunes, what, what do you have for the... Um, Let's see how to get started. How did you kind of start dipping a toe in this? Uh, <clears throat> real quick, it, Stuart's very inspirational, and I, I really appreciate your story. But uh, um, a, a huge monumental life shift happened to me when I was in my early 20s. I, I, had, I started my career very young. I uh, never had any interest in college or any, any of that stuff. And I, uh, I kind of fell into a very lucrative career. Um, working construction is tough on your body, but you know, if you start young, you kind of get used to the suck real quick. Um, but I, I I must've been 25, 24, 25 and talking to an old timer and, uh, you know, the guys, you, you, it's almost like a prison sentence. You know, you ask how how long you've been in, you know, and that's how many years you have towards your pension. And, uh, I remember, you know, an old timer asking me how long I've been in and, you know, five, six years or whatever. And uh, I said, you know, how long you been in? Oh, I got 30. I'm retiring this year. I'm like, oh, good on you. And uh, he said, uh, don't worry, it goes fast. And that was uh, very life-changing to me. Um, because in that one sentence, he he just said, you know, don't worry, your life goes fast. And uh, before you know it, it's over. Because he was all beat up. You know, he was physically, physically run down and you know, he, he's probably looking forward to retirement on a, on a beach somewhere in a chair, drinking margaritas for about six months before he dies. And, uh, at that moment I was, you know, mid twenties, early mid twenties, you know, in a band, you know, I was a biker, you know, I was, you know, a degenerate more or less. And and after that conversation, I kind of looked at myself in the mirror and was like, you know, do I really want to do this for another you know, 26 years and then retire on a beach. Um, and the answer was hard. No. Um, so I, I kind of aimed my North star at the only meaningful thing that I could think of, you know, I was kind of, I was into fitness, you know, I wanted to look good. I wanted to feel good. I wanted to be strong. So, uh, food was always on my radar. Um, and the easiest way for me to eat real food was to do it myself. Um, so I kind of, Aimed my North Star at that, and and we're off to the races since then. Um, it's been uh, trials, and and the expectations have to be left at the door. Um, every year is a, a new journey, but uh, it's very meaningful. I mean, it, it's a it's definitely a lifestyle, and and <clears throat> how I how I truly started is uh, I bought a beat up shack in the woods in the middle of nowhere and uh grinded and until you know until we got to where we're got where we're at and you know i'm still grinding for another 10 15 years before i'm happy enough to take a day off but uh the how is you you just do it and uh you know you 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 aim at whatever 
<clears throat> whatever word works for you, but mine was like more self-sufficiency, self-reliance. Uh, I'm a stubborn kid, you know. I uh, I want to do it all myself, so I figured food I do it myself too. Um, but whatever whatever word it is for you, you know, you just start. Um, you know, you start in buckets on the porch, you know, planting seeds, or or you start with chickens if you're blessed enough to have a quarter acre and enough room to to do a. a palette coop but it doesn't have to be pretty you know uh none of my work is is pretty you know we got we, we got palette furniture we got palette shelves we you know we we grind um but the how is just uh it's just will you know you just i decided one day that th this is what i was going to do and we did it uh, I'm sure that's very similar for everybody on here. Love it. You just pick something and you go, you know, the yeah. the uh, basil on the kitchen uh, windowsill, you know, growing. Exactly. I wanted to grow yep. my own pesto. So there, that's how that started and sauerkraut next to it. Uh, trying to grow my own probiotics because I couldn't afford to buy the bottled shit from the store for my kid. Then that's, that's it. Just figuring out like something that you think that would help you and like you can, it's all attainable. You could just have to focus on something and learn. And just like, I think Stella had mentioned like YouTube, man, <laughs> like I, I make videos. You want to know how to, how I grow sprouts in a Mason jar. You want to know how I make yogurt in my Instapot. I got YouTube videos out there for free. So people can see how I'm doing it. And there's uh, you know, thousands of uh, other people showing you how they do it too. So somewhere in there, somebody's doing it, like how it would work for you. So go, go and check this stuff out and figure it out. It's great. It's fun. I would, I would say for me, um, I beginning of every year, I do a like, you know, six month goal, one year goal, five year goal, 10 year goal. And I've done that for maybe, I don't know, five, 10 years, you know, and in that kind of, you know, every year changes every year, you know, everybody goes through everything, you know, but uh, taking an honest look at where you're at and where you want to be in six months, one year, five years is a really good way for me personally to, uh, make progress and decide what projects really matter and you know where to focus my efforts on the upcoming months i think if you do that regularly too you can also feel good about seeing how far you've come because i think it's easy when we're in this kind of a lifestyle and this mindset we're always wanting to do more and wanting to learn the next thing. It can feel like I just can get really down on myself for not doing enough, uh, for not learning enough, for not, you know, being where I wanted to be or whatever. But when I, when I take my time to look at that, or I started keeping a journal of what anything I put up. So whatever I can, if I have a big candy day, I write it down. So now I've got that for a whole year and I could look back to what I did last year and compare it to now. But also I just can see this book of stuff that I did. And it's like, that's actual real, it's tangible. It's like still, still there is evidence in, and I think it really helps put me in a, the right mindset that, yeah, you just keep going a little bit at a time. Some days feel uh, more productive than other, but it's, it's all, if you're enjoying it, you know, it's like, this is you living your life. Now you're not going to wait till retirement to go do something you want to do. <laughs> you're going to fit it in between all the hours. And when we first moved here, I was working 40 hours a week in an auto body shop. Like I was not a homemaker. We had our kid in a preschool, like everything's changed and shifted so that we can be here more and we have less money, but it's what we want to be doing. And it's like, just, uh, just kind of just getting started on that and then seeing where it takes you and, and checking in and setting goals and looking at how far you've come is all part of, of making that, that work. Uh, while Bill, what do you got about how to get, how you got started? 
Okay, so I grew up in middle Florida, and dad's from Texas, mom's from Louisiana, and so they both grew up uh, cooking from scratch and whatnot. So I, I say cooking from scratch. They definitely use Crisco in the cookies. Yeah, um, yeah too. <laughs> yeah, the butter-flavored Crisco. Right. <laughs> and uh, But grandpa ran uh, beef cattle. He had black baldies on his property in Texas for as far back as I can remember. And we would always help him every summer for at least a month up there. And so it was traditional ag, though. It was, you know, traditional industrial ag, industrial animal husbandry. It wasn't anything of the regenerative flavor. And, uh, you know, they were arguably as much as pets as anything. Um, but that was, that was my experience with it growing up. Neither of his kids were like my parents or, uh, my dad and his brother weren't interested in kind of taking up the mantle or carrying that on. And so that was our only exposure to it when we were younger. Um, and then I'd say we were pretty well lulled, lulled to sleep for at least a decade there. Um, and then really, really started getting back into it. I'd say when we moved from Texas to, uh, to Washington initially, and we started kind of befriending some naturopaths up here, kind of changing the way, straying away from allopathic medicine and, I'd say that probably really kind of kicked off the the deep diving into just how screwed up the food was. And then from then it was just anything we could do in the space we had, it was it was being done. We were growing what we could, we were sourcing better, and we no we noticed changes pretty immediately. Um I think I think kind of to piggyback off what you said and what Toon said is that the how is you you have to do it you have to make those sacrifices and you have to give up the conveniences of just being able to run down to you know the super grocery or whatever food line whatever you have and just pick that up pick up whatever you need i mean it, it to to have to have the foresight to always buy in bulk to always you know make sure you have enough either canned on the shelf or zipped up in mylar and sealed in buckets uh, whether it's keeping fresh grains on hand to make your own flour, mill your own flour, it you, you just have to be able to be okay with getting rid of convenient things, getting rid of the convenience of stopping off and grabbing a bite to eat. I, I can't tell you how hard it is to go out to eat with family now after making the switch because you just feel like crap. <laughs> you go out to eat, and it can be a great restaurant. It can be farm to table, organic, this, that, and the other. And you just feel like crap afterwards. 100%. It's, it is challenging. It doesn't matter what kind of a restaurant it is too. You know, they're cooking with the cheapest oil and it's, it's vegetable oil. It's uh, seed oils. Yeah. And it's, it's hard to find anything. You get a salad with nothing on it and it's just dead white lettuce, you know, it's like, it's so different than what you can grow. And so you do, you start to feel spoiled after a while, which it's not a bad thing. Yeah. It's like dead food. You, you're damn right. It's, and that's what Monica felt when she picked up that egg. She, like you said, it's just it's some sort of life spark. Um, there's nothing like eating a vegetable. that's still screaming. You know? yeah, yeah, totally. Pea shoots in the garden right now. That's what I'm after. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Uh, thank you. Wild Bill. That was awesome. Yeah. Uh, Ash, Ashley, you know, you're, you're still just dipping a toe and you've kind of talked about it a little bit, but you know, where do you see yourself trying to move next with the things you're doing at home? 
So I think um, this year I made it my mission to get really good at just making homemade biscuits because I grew up with homemade biscuits. It was Crisco. Um, Bill and I have talked about that. Stu and I have talked about that biscuit stuff. But um, so that was kind of my goal is to like get better at doing that one skill of getting really, really good at making these biscuits because my dad made them growing up and it was always good. And a lot of people in in today's day and time, they're like, oh, homemade biscuits. Like they think it's hard. Um, It's not hard. It's a very simple food that can be done very well and people love it all the time. So that was kind of my goal. And then, you know, we have our little piece of land. So my my goal is to just like keep looking forward to that. If I have an opportunity to get back to Western North Carolina, that's where I want to be. I want to be closer, at least foothills, um, and start kind of working on my little my little area there. And then other than that, keep up with what everyone else is doing and hopefully acquire like a little bit of skill as I go and get better at, you know, cooking at from home and things like that, that I'm not great at right now. That's awesome. Yeah. It's just one thing. Like, that's what I always do. I take one thing and I obsess over it. I try to obsess over it for at least 30 days, 60 days is better. But I find if I do something over and over and over again, like close together, then I'll really learn it and I'll really understand it. So it's never again going to be like, oh, what was that recipe? And having to look it up now, sourdough bread, you know, I can just make it. I can make it in my sleep and it turns out good every time. I can read it and understand the dough and the way it looks and what's underproofed or overproofed or how to shape it. It's just had to be. And that was like a lot of less than perfect loaves that were all still pretty delicious, but (laughs) it was not ideal. But you just keep doing that and you do it consistently. Consistently, and I think everything's like that. And same with home cooking, just cook more often until it becomes intuitive, until it becomes just an extension of you. And, and that's what it's meant to be because then it's not hard and then it doesn't take so much brain power to do it, you know? Yes. Peas and sourdough, even when you mess it up, it's still delicious. Yeah, for sure. It's at least it's croutons or breadcrumbs, if nothing else. Yeah, I think you, um, you said a really important word there was intuitive um, because we've really lost that. That's been sort of, deadened in us, I suppose, probably through food as well. But um, intuitive eating and cooking is, it, it's its amazing. It's really blowing my mind, actually, um, when you start to get back in touch with that. Um, yeah, it's something to think about. Yeah, you can tell what what is what your body wants when you really listen. But we've been told to override that. And if you even think of it like kids just eating things that are so unnatural, there's nothing in that to feed their body, which would like lead them to, you know, express what they need, right? It's not nourishing you. And so watching my two-year-old that's been raised on this diet and I, I ate a a good diet when I was pregnant with him and he was born at home, like his, his cravings and his wants are so much different than other kids that I've known. And it's like, he wants to just eat butter and I just let him eat butter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I realized just, I would save my sourdough if I just gave him butter because he would just eat the butter off the sourdough and throw it on the floor. <laughs> and so I'm like, well, maybe I should just listen to him and give him a stick of butter. And so maybe not a stick, but you know, a little bit at a time or he's, he's eating oysters out of a tin with me. He's eating the chicken liver pate that I made from our chickens. You know, he's, he's, he's open to all these different things and they're nourishing to him. And, you know, he knows what, what we're doing when we're making sausage in the kitchen. And I just think that kid, when he's, you know, my age, he's just going to have such a better foundation of launching off point. And so at least he'll have a fighting chance in this 
crazy toxic world to, you know, get out there and make his own decisions. Hopefully he'll have that intuition to be able to make good choices, something built in. Yeah. Yeah, And it's so valuable to, sorry, man. Go ahead. I was just going to say it's really valuable to um, give kids that foundational nutrition because that's like the starting of their life. That's going to build their bones and everything. I mean, yeah, I had my babies sitting down there while I was farming and stuff. They were sitting under the pea rows just eating peas off the vines and they were full by the time they got to the house. It's awesome. Yeah. Somebody needs to tell my little guy, though, that you need to wait till the strawberries turn red because he's just not listening to me. They're all (laughs) so excited. Berries, 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 berries. And it's like, that one's white. And he's just eating them like nonstop. Yeah. (laughs) So cute. What do you got, Wild Bill? Anything else? I was just going to say with the intuitive eating, you learn that you don't you're not craving chocolate. You're actually mag deficient. Yes. you're, You're actually able to key in on them what's going on and be able to have that discernment to say, Oh yeah, my body's actually telling me something. Absolutely. And how many cravings is just that you need salt and you need water. You know, it's like Mm -hmm. when I've learned like salt is so important and I had a high blood pressure at a really young age and I was told to watch it and I ate less salt and I was on a blood pressure medicine. And it wasn't until I realized, wait, that is absolutely wrong (laughs) that like I got it under control. So I like, don't need, you know, you don't need medication and you eat the salt and your food tastes good. So it's like a win-win. Um, it's just so many things are inverted and backwards and like the, just the wisdom, the, you know, conventional wisdom of what, what being healthy is and what a good diet is. It's, it's confusing. So when we talk about things like rendering lard or, you know, lard is like, so it's been so badly smeared because of Crisco, because of Procter and Gamble promoting their vegetable oil products, which was cottonseed oil originally. And, that has just been like this, you're like poor or dirty or fat if you use lard. And it's like, so the opposite, that's one of the richest sources of vitamin D is pastured pork lard. Um, and like tunes, I think earlier on, you had maybe had a question about the fat rendering stuff. Do you want to come back to that for a minute before we close? Uh, yeah. I was just curious how much, um, of, of the animal do you need to like last you the full year? Cause I, I, I've done a couple of pigs here and, uh, I love cooking in, in, animal fat, but, uh, I find it goes pretty quick. Um, like how, how, how much, how many animals, I guess, how many yeah. pigs? So for the, just for the, to have cooking fat for the year. Oh boy. Yeah. 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 Okay. So I did a half a pig and that was probably 20 pounds of fat. And I yielded about, uh, I'm guessing cause I just by lifting it, but I, I, uh, I yielded 10 quarts of lard and then I got, um, about the same amount of tallow. And so we have 20 quarts of fat. Um, and then if I keep in mind that I'm also still buying butter from the store, I, I think I'm, that's going to be enough, but I'm not sure yet. And I think if I lean on that stuff more and not um, olive oil or avocado oil, then I'm going to be, which is, is my goal, is um, that I might be needing more than that. So if I end up buying another half a pig, I think 20 quarts of lard definitely would be good, especially if I'm also using tallow for cooking. I was going to say that it's almost kind of proportional. Like I'd say a whole cow would probably last the average family close to a year. And I'd say the same quantity and fat would probably last the, you know, a family of four the same amount of time. It, it depends, like you said, on how hard you're leaning on it. Are yeah. you completely off? butter bought at the store? Are you completely off uh, oils bought at the store? It's hard to say, but to say like 40 pounds for an entire year, it's probably a safe guess. I don't know how much you're using it, but 
Yeah. I think that that's a good way to measure it. Like for us, we get a half of grass fed beef per year and then we raise our own chickens and now we're getting the half of a pig. And I think that'll be enough meat for the year. So I would hope that the fat that I render from that will also be enough. Yeah. I think it's, it's somewhat proportional and then it's kind of funny how it works out that way. I know, right? It's almost like nature knows, eh? It's yeah. the damnedest thing, dude. <laughs> yeah, and I'm making balm and it's all my skin products. And now I just, for the first time today, made tallow soap. So I'm so excited. Are you doing soap yet, Wild Bill? I haven't done soap yet. Oh, I was so scared of life for the longest time. I thought I was going to blow my face up or something exciting. <laughs> But I didn't. I saw a movie uh, about that one thing. <laughs> so yeah, like I know it's not. I'm not just a skeleton. I I made it, and it's like setting up, and everything looked like it should. I was expecting it to look when I put it up, but now tomorrow around noon, I'll get to, you know, unwrap my little packages and see if I can cut it the way I'm expecting to, Badass. and then four weeks of it air drying, and then it'll be ready to use. <laughs> right on. I and think I th the go ahead. No, you go. Uh, I think the next kind of like big big rabbit hole I want to dive down is, is proper herbalism. Oh yeah. Yeah. Making my own medicine, yeah. actually making my own medicine. So that's the, I'm dipping a toe in that this year too. I have some uh, lemon balm tincture. Yeah. I really feel called to that plant. It grows like mostly mm. under our porch <laughs> behind my house. And it was my, the house had been added on to at a point it, you, the spot it grows under the porch it used to be the little herb garden. That was my husband's uh grandmothers and so it's like her lemon balm still hanging out like nothing else wow. still grows there but the lemon balm does and i just like love the smell and i always like stop by and check it out and i've heard really good things about lemon balm for like anxiety and other things so i went and i got i found like organic you know 90 proof alcohol or whatever and i've got a jar packed full of that and i'm, I'm trying to make a tincture and i've just i've never done it before but you can read about it and all of the things are pretty simple you can do other things other than alcohol if you don't have the alcohol or if you don't want to use that so I've got that and I've got, I'm, I'm growing Tulsi this year too, which is a type of basil that's used as medicine and tea and stuff in India. And it's, it's delicious. I love it for tea. So I'm also trying to focus on just growing, growing my own tea. I got a lot of mint. I should never go to the store and buy pouches of mint tea. Like there's enough mint there for anybody. So yeah, herbs uh, for cooking as well as medicine and tea is what I'm trying to bring more of in and dehydrate so that I have for the winter this year. Cool. I like it. Yeah. Just Stella. Stella started me making tinctures this year. Yeah. She turned me on to comfrey as being a healer, and uh, I can't I can't count the number of people more than five or six that have been influenced by all this. Um, right. My at the farm I work at, they grow comfrey. Um, I met a poultice for me because my speaking of grandkids, my grand dog has been stepping on my toe and. I thought it was broken, and it really did wonders. I was amazed. And my son skates, and he beats up his knees, and he tried it, and he said, wow, it really seemed to help. It, lots of little applications. So I'm growing comfrey this year now in, in the yard. So I have my oh, own that's patch. that's so awesome. Uh, it's been really surprising and interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I love so making cool. the balm. I just I, I really love doing it. And I'm, I'm really fortunate because I've, I've got people around this area that I get all the, I like the honey and the beeswax comes from the guy down the road all organic um i grow my own um stuff that goes into it and make the own my own oils um i made a stevia tincture the other day it tastes awful but it was my first tincture attempt so we'll see how that goes but um yeah i just love doing all that stuff it's so satisfying and i've been doing my own herbs and drying all them and doing that i mean i'm in suburbia now so that's sort of all i can really do i've got i just grow stuff in bags now and i've got a, a couple of garden beds but 
yeah, my spirit is it's hurting. It wants to get back to the land. It really does. Yeah. So any <laughs> of that stuff it, that you can do, anything that you can of that you can do to keep doing, you know, when when you live in the city or in the suburbs, yeah. I think is really beneficial. And like we can't forget, like people who do have a little bit of land, or you can go somewhere that's got a little forest, like chickweed grows in our garden. I made chickweed salve this year. We have dandelions everywhere. I made dandelion salve. And like yeah. now when my kid scrapes their knee, yeah, or has a rash or a bug bite, we have things that we made here and we grew and that's like super satisfying. That's so good. Yeah. I've got people lining up for my company salve eat. now and it's just so good. Yeah. Did you got tunes? Before you get too far off of soap. Oh, Stu. Yeah. I've been making soap since 2008, about every other year. And I still get nervous about pulling with a line. It's just, it's a powerful concoction when you're starting. It, it was um, like a mad scientist. It's like it's hot. It's like well, boiling. No, it's, yeah. Hmm. It was a very exciting. And I'm not I, real satisfied with my scent yet. It's uh-huh. hard to get a good scent to stick. Um, yeah, but yeah. I've got some that are okay. And uh, yeah, I've thawed some, I took some tallow out of the freezer just for a couple of weeks ago. I've been meaning to make it, but I just hadn't done it yet. Oh, I'll awesome. get to it soon and yeah. enjoy it again. Excellent. Anybody else got anything before we uh, wrap up here? I just wanted to mention that you guys are touching on very much what Lanny said with with uh, your husband's grandmother. Um, it's all the heritage knowledge with the herbs um, that we've lost with the last generation, the last two generations. Uh, this is all stuff that that at least us, if not our children, our our children's children need to learn. Uh, you know so <clears throat> do our best to uh figure it back out and talk to each other yeah heck yeah yeah and this has been like so inspiring this was like heads above more enjoyable than being on union of the unwanted <laughs> and like <laughs> so much fun to talk to all of you guys and i'm like so thankful to have like been connected with you guys through uh i think through this avenue where we kind of can start the conversation above where I could start with the stranger. Cause we already have this foundation. If we're all listening to the prop report, <laughs> then we yeah. all, you know, kind of know what's going on. And, uh, and, and, and I can relate a lot of uh, how I navigated 2020 is thanks to, to Monica and what I was listening to on that podcast um, just before that. And um, I yep. just am super, super inspired about what we talked about here today. And I'm, I'm really thankful for all you guys joining me and taking the time. I know it's late and, and it, Stella's in the future. I don't know how that works, but. Yeah. <laughs> does my head in. <laughs> yeah. It um, does. We have, we have a lot of scheduling like, okay, wait, what time is it there? I know it's tomorrow, but it's. Count it's on all your fingers here, and so toes. Evening there. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I think, um, if you guys want it, I think somebody had said they might want this to for a swap cast so you can put it out on your feed too. So I think awesome. we should all just kind of go around. If you want to say where people can find you online, um, if you don't want to just, you can promote something that you, that you're into, but yeah, I'm Lanny and, uh, this is a greener postures podcast and you can find everything that I do at greenerpostures.com. And I'm uh, at Greener Postures on Twitter and Instagram. And oh, YouTube. I always forget to mention Preserving Today on YouTube, which is where I put all my free videos out on how I do stuff. Nice. Um, You can, if you want to listen to me, I don't know why you would. Union of the Unknowns is a podcast I'm involved in. Um, I, I do want to just say one thing, though. Like, I really encourage everyone to just find out where your treasures lie and 
and like start now. Like even if you're just living in a unit or whatever and you've got a balcony, start now, just grow sprouts, whatever it is, just get familiar with it because it is a mindset. So you've got to get into the mindset. Right. So yeah. Good luck, everyone. 100%. <laughs> Thanks, Stella. Yes. Thank you so much. This was awesome. Excellent. Yeah. Thank you. What do you got? Tunes? I just want to promote your class. Uh, my wife's been making awesome sourdoughs since oh. your course and oh. uh, definitely take your courses. Thank I you. I appreciate it a lot. You she makes sourdough one? bagels. Yeah. Oh, she makes sourdough bagels when, when my little one was, was brand new. Uh, and, and yeah, it's been awesome. So take Lanny's courses. <laughs> Thank you. Definitely. Yeah, we've been to one of the fermentation ones too. Having you tunes was that the fermented vegetables one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, uh, we got to figure out growing first before we start fermenting. But yeah, for sure. <laughs> when you have too much of something, you're gonna know what to do with it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. And you can also hear tunes on the Union of the Unknowns. And what do we got, Stu? Do you want to tell anyone where to find you, or you can just say no thanks? <laughs> no, no. That's- well, Stella's one of our treasures, so we know that. Um, and we can credit our, our pod mom, Monica. Um, She's she labeled herself, and we like the label. Um, yeah, no, I just hang out uh, at the uh, Discord of the Union of the Unknowns and the Propaganda Report. So I enjoyed it. Thanks. Perfect. Yeah, Stu's always cha- uh, sharing cool pictures of his meat birds growing and the, the farm that he gets to help out at. And, like, it's just I love going in there just to check. I don't check all the tabs, but I check the permaculture self-reliance tab or whatever it's called in the prop report discord. And it's, it's always full of good stuff. And while Bill, do you want anyone to be able to find you anywhere if they want to reach out? So I don't have anything to plug. I'm on the prop report discord uh, at wild bill. Yeah. That's about that's it. it. Thanks for having me. Really yeah. appreciate it. Since awesome. super, super fun. Y'all are yeah. awesome. This is great. I'm liking getting to know you. And Ashley, think, change, repeat. Yes. So um, you can find me at Union Unknowns. Um, I run the Union of the Unknowns um, Twitter handle. So I'm there. And then also in the discords um, and our website, like you can find all of the stuff for the pod at unionoftheunknowns.com. And yeah, I'm with Tunes. I. I really have liked your classes a lot. And I, the two that I took were fermented foods. One of them, I was sick as a dog. I sounded like um, a bullfrog or something like that, but um, I enjoyed that. And then my favorite was fermented beverages. Um, that one was a lot of fun. So I agree. Your classes are amazing. And the your Telegram group is great. There's a lot of other really inspiring people in there. Um, and I just want to express my gratitude for all of my friends here. I have been really happy to be here with y'all and, um, you're just special. You're special people. So thank you so much. And I have really, I've really enjoyed this. Yes, this is great. Thank Thank you you guys. Thanks to everybody for being here. And, uh, I think I'm going to be making an appearance on the union of the unknowns sometime in July. So we'll get to talk again then. Yes. Awesome. Thanks for listening. I'm Lanny, and this was the Greener Postures podcast. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Greener Postures and subscribe to my YouTube channel, Preserving Today, by going to youtube.com slash at Greener Postures. Questions, feedback, or would you like to be a guest on the show? Send me a DM or you can email me at greenerpostures at pm.me. I'd love to hear from you. 
If you're interested in attending one of my online workshops and joining the exclusive Greener Postures Telegram group chat, go to my website, greenerpostures.com slash workshops. I hope to see you there. Run!